this week are fully dedicated to DVAM, which stands for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we dedicate this time to advocate for survivors and end domestic violence. Our philanthropy at Sigma Psi Zeta is to combat violence against women in varied forms, including, but not limited, to rape, incest, domestic violence, sexual assault, and much more. So we're trying to use our platform to spread awareness to our listeners about domestic violence. And speaking of our philanthropy, on today's episode, we have um, a few guests. We can start with Diana. Hi, everyone. I'm Diana. And we also have Angela. Hi, I'm Angela. We have Jamie today. Hi, I'm Jamie. And Edwina. Hi, I'm Edwina. We also have Sarah. Hello, I'm Sarah. We have Audrey. Hi, I'm Audrey. Uh, we have Amy today. Hi, I'm Amy. <laughs> and we also have Emily. Hi, I'm Emily. And these are our sisters from Tao Chapter. But on today's episode in our DVM series, we have a guest of honor. Her name is Glenda Bautista Baker. She is another sister alum from Alpha Chapter. And it's so cool that she's able to be here and join us today because she actually helped develop our philanthropy. So, uh, so Glenda, uh, how did you come up with this idea or choose this issue to be Sigma's philanthropy? Um, I mean, it's, uh, so I don't have like, you know, this overarching, like, um, you know, large way where I, I'm sitting under a tree and like an apple falls and hits me in the head, like, wow, our philanthropy should be, you know, domestic violence, et cetera, like that, that actually uh, didn't happen to me at all. Um, it actually was a, a two-year sort of like, uh, a two-year, a, a two-year sort of journey to make this a philanthropy, uh, the philanthropy of uh, Sigma Psi Zeta. So um, I'll just go into the technicalities and then maybe later on in the discussion, we can probably talk about, um, you know, the, the impetus or at least like, you know, um, the, the place where it comes from, um, where it inspired me to sort of like, you know, get the idea sort of moving and, and, and through the processes of the processes of um, the sisterhood actually adopting it. Um, but, it, you know, again, um, just to give you an idea of the background of the philanthropy, I mean, obviously, I was a student a very long time ago. Um, at, at the Alpha Chapter at the University at Albany in Albany, New York. Um, my, just, you know, to frame it for everybody, um, I had become a sister in the spring of 1996. Um, that is very, very close to our founding date um, as, a, as a sorority, as you know. Um, and so I was part of the Gamma class um, in, in our Alpha Chapter. Um, so uh, I was a sophomore when I became a sister, uh, and when I was a senior, um, you know, I had a personal incident actually happen to me that allowed me to sort of, you know, um, put a lot of very deep thoughts around, um, you know, what I I had experienced and and what I hoped to achieve once I sort of uh, proposed this on a national level, um, <clears throat> and I think that. 
overall, um, I thought that it was important, particularly because of the fact that um, since I was a survivor of sexual assault, um, at the time that I proposed this, um, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, uh, when this happened to me, I was in a very scary place. And I didn't actually know where to sort of turn because um, prior to Sigma Psi Zeta, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of female friendships in my life. And uh, additionally, I come from a first generation household. Um, and so the idea behind that was, well, I mean, you know, being in an in a Asian interest sorority, um, it must be taboo to talk about these things with, you know, other women in your family, right? Like, I must have invited this onto myself. Like, this is, this is something that, like, you know, this is a situation I've created myself. And I, and I knew um, that that would have been my mother's reaction. Um, and I didn't have that type of relationship with my mother or any kind of, like, you know, female relative where I, I could have that kind of discussion with them. Um, simply, it just doesn't happen, right? Um, and so I was of college age, obviously, and I, and I had a lot of people come to me after that incident um, and say, you know, it happened to me too, and I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I sort of thought to myself, well, that, that is an incredibly lonely place that I sort of dug myself and clawed myself out of uh, that I, I didn't, I, I tried to think of a way in which my story could help other people. Um, because obviously if I was, a, if I was in a position to sort of, um, you know, at least affect a, a person other than myself, like to know where to turn, like, you know, that would be the victory right there. And, um, you know, everybody would be smarter for it. Um, so again, uh, that's a very, very light sort of dusting as to, uh, where it comes from without getting into like the excruciating detail, which I could probably go over a little bit later in the podcast, but um, overall, uh, I, I didn't want for, you know, other college-aged women, whether they be, like, you know, of Asia, Asian descent or otherwise, to have gone to that place and not have had anywhere to turn. Um, and um, when I say that I didn't have a lot of female friendships uh, on, until I actually joined Sigma Psi Zeta, um, I also didn't kind of particularly grow up in an Asian community. And I, and this stems from the fact that I didn't even have kind of that uh, relation, that type of relationship with my mother where I could discuss these like incredibly taboo and modernized things with her, you know? Um, so the, I think the premise behind the, the national philanthropy actually comes from the sorority itself. And the reason for that is that um, since I didn't know where to go, I told one sister and then the rest of the sisters showed up at my house and were like, we need to put you through the process um, and uh, tell me what happened and I'm going to go beat his ass. But other than that, um, you know, like the, the funny stuff aside, um, it was uh, very empowering to know that I, I, I wasn't alone. Um, and I had never had that type of experience before. Um, I had had many, uh, you know, friendships with um, with men that, or let's let's be honest, boys that, um, you know, I wasn't able to I wasn't able to have these discussions either. 
Um, and, and my situation, you know, is, is very complicated because it, it obviously involved like, you know, a very close male friend of mine. Um, so uh, when a lot of men decided to, you know, victim blame me um, or, you know, question the validity of my claims, even though I was able to back it up with very, very detailed facts about everything, um, it almost seemed like my friendships with them didn't really matter. But my friendships with women seemed to be at the crux of what I was feeling because, um, you know, th there was a validation in uh, sisters being able to say, uh, you know, that happened to me, but I didn't know what to do. Um, so again, that is just a light dusting on what the philanthropy was a uh, was was sort of the the place where the philanthropy sort of came from. It comes from a much deeper place. We can go there later. Um, but I, I think I've said enough for the top of the show so far. <laughs> How did you find the courage to kind of reframe your thinking to turn that kind of negative incident into something positive and helping others? Yeah, I you know, I I think about that a lot and um I am no real stranger. I'm actually kind of a glutton for punishment, to be honest. And uh, I think it comes from being a long-suffering sort of like, you know, artist type person where, um, where I, I, I try to take uh, very painful experiences um, and, and, and turn them into very productive discourse or at least, um, you know, something beautiful. And I really honestly think that um, a lot of like really great art is born from a place of pain. That just happens to be my philosophy. You don't have to drag yourself over the coals in order to get to a beautiful place. I'm not saying that at all. But, um, you know, it's, there has to be, I, I truly believe that there has to be a silver lining in, in, in getting dragged through like, you know, the dirt and muck of life. Um, because I, I mean, if you sit around and wallow, wallow in it too long, um, it, it ultimately consumes you, um, and and it and you know, a lot of people get decision paralysis or action paralysis in a situation like that. Um, and while I did have that for a while, um, I, I I have a tendency to to make productive, like you know, that wallow time to make something of value or or usefulness, um, so that either somebody doesn't have to go through an experience like that, or um, you know, there are universal learnings behind every experience that we have as, you know, people. Uh, and I believe that. So um, that's why I think poetry exists. That's why I think, you know, great writing exists. That's why I think that the human experience exists um, to be able to be bonded by these, these uh, incidents. Um, if they're unfortunate or if they're joyous, um, they're all part of the larger framework that life is, right? So that, that, that was where that came from. So I was wondering, you talked about, you know, that taboo and kind of that stigma around these conversations. So what is kind of your advice to bring up that conversation? I'm sure it's going to be different to, yeah. you know, parents versus your friends versus your sisters. So kind of how does that differ from all these different audiences? I don't see, I don't, I don't necessarily think that, well, when you think about audience, right? I, I mean, it's obviously very, um, you cater the message to the audience. Um, knowing that, I mean, I, I didn't have this discussion with my mother um, and knowing, I think, what her reaction would be, 
um, my mother, my mother, um, you know, she's been, uh, she passed away four years ago, like around this week. And I was actually reflecting on, you know, my, um, my relationship with her uh, recently, as, as recently as, uh, you know, Tuesday. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, had I talked to my mother, like, what would she have said? And she's hyper-religious, very conservative, you know, Filipino, uh, Filipino, um, first-generation immigrant, like Catholic. And um, that's, that, this stuff doesn't simply exist in her universe. It just doesn't, right? Um, and I had grown up in the shadow of having to listen to conservative radio, like, out of one ear. You know, and, and knowing that those political ideals, like, you know, aren't necessarily, um, in my opinion, uh, friendly <laughs> towards women, um, I, I, I didn't feel safe enough to actually have that discussion with my mother. Um, and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, like, you know, that having these hard, hard discussions with people, like, you don't expect to, like, you know, come to your aid um, does bond you. But at the same time, um, you know, again, I didn't feel comfortable having that conversation, uh, knowing that it, I, I could have been blamed, even though it must, I, I needed to muster up the courage to have that conversation. Um, to this day, I have, I've never had that conversation with my mother, although I'm sure, like, you know, in the back of my head, she knows it now, right? Um, for the sisters and for my friends, no real difference, I think. Um, but within the context of having that discussion with sisters, I expect or at least most would expect that there's a little more understanding there because we have like you know that that you know general baseline around this is our national philanthropy we do all of these things because we believe in this right and this is a part of you know what makes our sorority our sorority right um I don't feel the need that I, I, I don't feel the need to explain myself or explain like, you know, the validity of like, you know, what I claim to like another sister. Um, you know, in some cases, like I, I can imagine, like, you know, it takes a little bit when there are, you know, when, when there are things like other, like, you know, external friendships and, and interpersonal, like, you know, complications, like that really sort of complicate a lot of, um, the experiences that people have with dealing with um, domestic violence, sexual assault, uh, you know, rape, incest, and the like, you know, um, there's an extraordinary amount of, like, you know, personal relationships that are at play that doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, like, kind of uh, broach on, like, you know, just Sigma Psi Zeta as a whole or sisterhood. But being a sister of Sigma Psi Zeta, I think, um, at least, like, there's an established baseline um, or a framework for the discussion that one has with another person, knowing that we all come from that one same background, and we all have been uh, trained to reflect very deeply on these experiences. Um, and so I would expect that if another sister, like, had come to you for help, like, the empathy is already built in. You know what I mean? Like, because of the fact that, you know, it, we hold that very true to our values as an organization. Um, for friends uh, that, you know, don't, I, I, I can honestly say that um, I, I have had this discussion with male friends of mine. And um, I'm not saying that, you know, they don't have the, 
correct body parts or whatever to understand exactly what I'm saying. I, what I'm saying is, is that truly like they come from a different angle that is clearly like not mine. Um, and it takes a little bit more to like, you know, for them to make that connection other than that's a really terrible thing that happened to you, you know, like, and the, and, and sort of the conversation ends there, but you don't know what they're, you don't know what the temperature is around like certain people. Like when you have these discussions with certain friends, like whether or not um, they're suppressing something very painful that like was similar. Um, or if, uh, you know, they, they also uh, have those taboos um, that you, you sort of, um, you sort of push like the boundary of like, you know, what you can talk about with them that they're not ready for sometimes. Um, it it re really talking with friends requires a little more feeling out than anything. For the sister, for for the sistership, um, I think that we all have an established baseline, and I expect. And again, just to reiterate, I expect that that sort of empathy is already built in. And I don't need to re-explain it. Um, so yeah, those are just my thoughts there. Um, I, I don't know if that particularly answers your question, but um, overall, again, you know, tailoring like or at least understanding your audience. Um, I think speaking to another sister. You, you just kind of assume that, you know, since it's part of our shared experience, even though it didn't personally happen to you, that you're able to connect there, or at least the empathy is there, you know? Yeah, I really liked how you used the word taboo. Um, and and because we are like, you know, a uh, Asian interest sorority, um, I found yeah. that that's... For me, that was one. The our philanthropy was one of the reasons why um, I joined because you know our philanthropy is is what our philanthropy is. Yeah, <laughs> and I felt such a connection to it because um well with my mom she was in a domestic violence marriage you know and yeah. and I felt like she didn't know that I felt that she absolutely that was normal you know and I know also like her friends or like people in our like community like that was such a a common thing and, and and it wasn't that big of a deal you know like they didn't focus on the fact that he hit me or the fact that he did x y and z to me but that like i don't know like, that he cheated or something they focus more on right. um the other details of, of what went wrong in the marriage than oh he hit me he abused me he did x y and z to me um and also, you know, uh, with, with talking with your friends versus talking with your family, um, you know, when, when I was uh, sexually assaulted, I also felt uncomfortable with, with um, sharing with my mom or my family because, because, you know, like we never talked about um, anything like that. You know, we kind yeah. of grew up learning, oh, just don't have sex, you know. You're like, yeah. You don't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a virgin, I swear. Yes, I swear. <laughs> um, but then, you know, when, when that happened, I, I felt as if I definitely, the first person I thought of was my mom, you know, like I saw that reflection of her in me because of how I, how I felt weak and how I felt um, out of control and that he was, was totally in control and I could, and there was nothing for me to do about it, you know, and, and with my mom, you know, she had no one to go to, to, to say that. And then for me, I felt the same way. I couldn't go to my family or my friends because I was, I was so young when this happened. And so what can I say for my friends to understand, you know, so, 
So this type of topic came, became such a, a taboo until I found, you know, a group of girls, um, they're, they're in my church and they, they reminded me that, you know, it, it isn't my fault and that um, I'm like, like I'm a survivor rather than a victim. And, and that's what I love. Absolutely. You know? They, they told me that I was a survivor instead of a victim. And I think that's something that we also should um, amplify um, and in another way I can't think of. But, <laughs> but, you know, amplify that, you know, we are survivors and not victims. And, and what I love about um, what we do in our sorority is really spreading awareness that this is, this is a real issue, you know, that this, is, this shouldn't be taboo anymore. This shouldn't be something that we kind of just like oh yeah it happens but I'm not comfortable getting involved because it's their relationship you know so yeah I just really love that um one of the key things we do is spreading awareness and and although that's not something we physically can intervene and do it's something that makes a difference in in everyone's lives yeah I think that overall and it's interesting that you've glommed on to the word like you know taboo um that was originally when I had proposed the philanthropy in 1999, um, you know, obviously maybe some of you weren't even born then. I can't even do math anymore. But, you know, for the most part, you have to remember that like in the mid 90s, or at least like in the late 90s, um, I come from a place in like my college career where, you know, like people aren't having these discussions, right? Um, a lot of I think even like pop culture, like was very, very male centric. Um, I mean, you think about, I, I just look to music, I look to art, like, you know, during that era, um, because it, it's the one thing that I can immediately associate with, like, you know, that, that, that time in my life. And um, it was very, very, um, very, ma a lot of masculine energy. Um, so when you, when you go back to talking about your mother and her experiences in a violent relationship, I too, like, you know, have that, that, that background as well, where my mother wasn't even able to have that, those discussions, like, you know, um, and my mother would, would self-blame herself um, and be like, oh, the reason why, like, this happened is because I didn't choose well or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? And, and I'm like, wow, this is so backward. Like, you know, um, I can't believe that you would blame yourself for a situation like you have to do something about it. And, uh, and unfortunately she didn't. And I, I think that, I think that has, a, it speaks a lot of, um, at the time, even the Asian community for that matter, like no one wanted to talk about any of that stuff. Um, and that was my sort of way, because I don't have any problem being like, you know, very, very um, upfront and, and uh, you know, vocal about things if you can tell. And so I, I, I felt like, you know, in order to make this our philanthropy, like, wouldn't that be great? Like, you know, for the Asian, for at least, you know, people who are in the Asian community to like blow that out of the water, like, you know, and just remove all the layers for, you know, being able to talk about it. Because it was very, very, um, I, I think it was very revolutionary at the time, because like, to be honest, like, everyone's like, oh, it must be my fault. Like, self-blame and everything like it's definitely not your fault it's just that people don't want to talk about it the way in which you know people would treat women um i was taking an east asian studies class at one point 
uh, and um, you know, there are a lot of nuances even in literature, or at least like uh, when I would read, yeah, it was e women in East Asian, East Asian literature was the name of the course. And um, so we would read stuff and they would point out things like, you know, whenever, a, like, you know how um, there in China, um, in, in, you know, uh, infanticide is a huge thing, particularly around females, right? Where the value is placed on the male rather than the female. So when um, a female is birthed, um, you know, in just way, way back in like Chinese history, they would put the female on the floor and the male would be birthed on a table, like to show the status of the female in relation to the male. And that kind of symbolism like really jarred me, you know? Um, so it, so again, the, it's interesting when you say taboo, again, it was particularly meant for me to just be like, all right, it's time for us to all have a discussion about it. Um, we should probably blow it out of the water. Uh, and what better way to do that than to take a very strong stance in something that nobody really wants to talk about. Um, again, um, I think a lot of the Me Too movement and also um, the Time's Up movement has really uh, kind of, you know, put this at the, you know, center of like, you know, a lot of discussion. But like in the late 90s, that wasn't a thing <laughs> at all. Um, so uh, I'm glad that, you know, see, I can't even do math. How many years later is it now? 25 years? Um, yeah, 25 years, or 25 years plus, I guess, right? I have no idea anymore. Um, see, I'm an Asian that can't do math, just so you know. Um, and it's very unfortunate because I can see you all laughing in your Zoom cameras, but you know, you're not on the audio track. So, um, but, but again, it, it's, it's good to see that even 25 years plus years later, it still resonates, right? And we're still talking about it. And I, I can't believe we're still talking about it. Um, I, I mean, again, it, it, it's up to us. It really is. Uh, but um, at least like the discussion needed to start somewhere, right? I do agree that we've come a long way from 20, 25 years ago, even though I wasn't even alive, then, <laughs> but um, like not having the Me Too movement. Um, now on campus, we have CARE, which is a resource for victims and survivors. And there's just so many resources to get like legal aid and just aid in general in cases like this on college campuses. So I was wondering like what the state of like your time at University of Albany was like in terms of those resources for survivors. Wow. How it's changed throughout like 20 years. Yeah. So um, what were the resources like? Not great. I, I, I will tell you this. Um, currently right now at the University of Albany, I sit on um, the advisory board of directors for uh, student affairs. Um, and uh, right now they, they do have um, a great amount of resources around instances and, and experiences such as this that do happen um, within the university community. Um, back then, not equipped um, at all. So, um, the sisters actually shuttled me multiple directions, um, you know, and had to get me to talk because I didn't want to really talk about it because I was just not really processing it 
around the shock and the feeling of the general feeling of betrayal that like I had uh, when that immediately had happened to me. The resources then were um, were a, a couple of <laughs> a couple of things. Uh, one, they suggested that I go to uh, the Albany Police Department. That did not help um, because. Uh, I think what they were trying to do when they actually showed up to take a report, it's like, oh, you had a drink? Well, that kind of like, you know, crosses that off the list. Have a nice day, ma'am. And like, you know, walk away. And that was the end of that, right? So that's it for the police department. Um, for uh, university campus police, didn't happen on campus, happened off campus. So they're not involved, right? Um, what else? Actually, I will say this. Um, so I was speaking uh, to Angela about, um, you know, how art is my my art, or at least I feel like art inspired art is inspired by you know places like you know you've gone like you know inside yourself. And so my senior thesis, um, or at least my senior portfolio for um, my minor in photography was actually uh, on sexual assault. Um, and so. Uh, without getting too much into it, there were a lot of um, self-portraits of, you know, body parts of mine obscured because I, and, and, you know, fuzzy and faded with like, you know, scrawl written all over it because I felt like I was just diminished into pieces for somebody. And so I was trying to reflect that in the work. And what had happened was we had our senior, we had our senior critiques, you know, one of the last photography classes I'll ever take in my college career. And I, I put up all of my, you know, all of my prints. And my photography professor took one look at that, everybody critiqued it and was like, oh my God, something terrible happened to Glenda, like, you know, in this very last semester of her college career. My photography prof professor actually um, took my hand right after, said, Glenda, can you stay? Um, we had a discussion. She took my hand. We went marching right over to campus administration to the Office of Affirmative Action. Um, and then they actually did a university restraining order on, um, on the ex-friend then who assaulted me uh, one month prior to like, you know, my photography professor having it splashed all over her critique wall. Um, and it, it took a very long time for everybody to get like, you know, their heads around it. But no, there were definitely no resources there. Um, it was really just through the kindness of like, you know, the people that I've told, or at least like, you know, who had been affected by, you know, what I was experiencing through like, you know, it, it bled into many different things, like, you know, over the course of my last semester. Um, and it really was through the kindness of other people just sort of reaching out and being like, oh my God, like, do you need help? Uh, that I was able to sort of, you know, get any sort of resolution um, of that. There was no clear resolution, but we did have to like, you know, um, separate from each other um, on campus. Um, it, there was also a situation where um, I was actually the general manager of the college radio station at the time. And this person was one of my executives. And so he wasn't able to go to the radio station anymore. And I finished out my, the end of my college career, you know, having to like restrain one of my executives from actually walking into our place of business. So, um, so no, like 
definitely not a lot of people were equipped for that. And I think a lot of people, um, while it does happen, there was a lot of self-blame going on in a lot of those situations. Nobody really wanted to talk about any of those things. Because again, like the thought was, I must have invited this onto myself, you know? And, and so I, I don't think that any of the administrators um, or any of the, any of the other organizations involved in like, you know, in the affairs of students actually really understood what to do in a circumstance like that. Um, I mean, and I've had, I had also instances where I, I've had boyfriends actually hit me throughout my college career, like two separate boyfriends. No, wait, yes, two separate boyfriends. And um, I completely like, you know, just would shut them down. Um, after that, I would have to do all that work. Like there would be nobody to like, you know, kind of reach out. Um, so uh, having the discussion actually like, you know, moves it a little bit further down um, the football field. But to be honest, not then, uh, it really was just like go around in circles and try to figure out some sort of solution where everybody coexists, but doesn't have to uh, deal with each other. Um, so it's unfortunate. I'm glad to hear that Tao has those resources though. So obviously, I mean, there have been improvements, but in your opinion, what do you think is still the reason why we are having these conversations today? Like there have been improvements, there have been more resources, but yeah, we're still having, you know. Yeah, so we're having these problems, um, you know, and this is just my opinion. Um, and I, and please chime in, but I think there are many resources for women and it's all women centric and like, you know, the woman has to do the work. and. And being a woman for as long as I've been a woman, I can honestly say that it's a lot of work to be a woman because you have to do all sorts of things. And some of that, some of that emotional weight, or at least like the mental burden, like doesn't truly reside with the woman. What does it actually mean? It actually means that men should be also doing the work, right? Like ultimately, um, I don't necessarily think that like, you know, you can provide all these resources for women all you want, but it's like all after the fact, right? There's nothing preventative about like any of this. I mean, other than having the discussion with like, you know, males that you know have, I don't know, creepy tendencies, I have no idea. Like, how do you have that discussion with people like, you know, to reprogram like the male psyche? I, I mean, whoever figures that out is going to be a rich person, but I, I don't exactly know how you actually do that without having like, without, um, you know, severe personality changes or, you know, larger discussions around like, you know, uh, behavior that, that that's expected of like, you know, college age males or like just males in general, like provide all the resources you want for women. But like, to be honest, like, you know, how do you do that for men instead? Yeah, it's funny how you say that because when I think about it, like, we do have preventative measures, but it's, again, directed at women. Like, we tell women, oh, make sure you keep your drinks close to yourself. Make sure you don't put yeah. in that situation. It's all directed at women, yet that isn't the same towards men. And yeah, right. totally. I totally agree with that. I was like, yeah, you should all walk around with, like, you know, sports cups over your, you know, crotches. Like, you know, when I wear a short skirt because you can't keep it under control. You know, like, these are these are things that, you know... I mean, I, I I don't know what the actual, you know, like what the 12 step program looks like to rehabilitate, you know, a male that like, you know, thinks a certain way that they do. 
Like it, it really stems very deep, like in, 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 accept, in accepted behaviors, right? And I, I don't know how to get around that. Um, I, I, I consider myself very fortunate that I have a, um, a wonderful husband that actually deeply is more empathetic than like, you know, I will ever be. Um, and, and exhibits a lot of, um, actually he's, I don't think he realizes this, but I, I admire him because he, he exhibits both feminine and masculine traits. Right. And so, and I have like, you know, a very masculine energy and like, you know, obviously like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a female, but, um, the balance is, is there where he's able to kind of understand both sides of the same coin. He's def he, he feels um, he's deeply empathetic and he absolutely understands what, you know, awful situations like, you know, are for other people to teach that kind of empathy for like, you know, um, a culture that rewards like, you know, very brusque, um, you know, behavior for males, like is, it, I, I, again, I don't know how you get around that, but it, it, it requires modification that, you know, none of, no female is like equipped to handle. It just sort of like has to be, you know, ingrained in, in that person and in, in their personality to like, you know, to, to know where another person's coming from and how awful that would be um, to have experienced. Um, but no, I, I don't think that women should be doing all the work. Like the emotional burden and, and the mental burden is always with women. We do far too much already. Like, what am I going to do? Like not dress the I did that for a long time. Like I would like totally like uglify like everything that I was wearing all the time. Um, yeah, it was like the early nineties and I could be totally grunge and like get away with it, you know? Um, and nobody would have to look at me and then like, you know, everybody would go about their business. And I would just hide myself that way. Right. Um, it was almost like, you know, I, I mean, I, I like was totally like, you know, like, really like dark face makeup and like hair and face like and just to hide the fact that like you know I was female and like don't look at me and just like let me go about my own business and do my own thing you know um and put off the vibe as if like you know nobody should talk to me like and and that's the way in which I would shield myself from like anything bad happening to me um but I don't have to do that you know like <laughs> I mean why is, why is it is it, why would it be acceptable? Like, and I invited, uninvited male behavior, like, you know, the wolf whistles and bullshit. Like, who has to, like, dealing with that is annoying um, and unacceptable. <laughs> Michelle, you had something to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, like, definitely, of course, you know, um, uh, sexual assault and domestic violence doesn't only happen to women. So, like, we do want everyone to understand. Yes. Like, it definitely happens to men, too. It's just that in society, you just hear so much, so many, so many rules um, for women, you know? Like, yep. don't wear short skirts. Walk with someone. Don't walk alone. Do, don't do this. Don't do that. Or do do this, you know? Or, like, they don't understand the, or I guess men um, can't really grasp the experience when being catcalled you know like so often that we we have ways and techniques to try to avoid it or they don't understand uh being scared to wear a skirt walking up the stair the stairs or the escalator being feared that someone some guy behind you is going to take a picture underneath you know yep 
I just want to share something real quick. I think it was a little funny. Um, I was walking around with my friends and you know, when, when you're being catcalled with your friends, it's, it's still uncomfortable. And so what I did is I barked at them, you know, and I, <laughs> you know, like, so I stood behind them and they, they were walking ahead, but I can see the, the older men kind of just staring and glaring and like, looking them up and down and I look back because I'm not scared so I look back I look back and then and then they look away sometimes but there was this one dude and he did not look away and I said no no sir and he said oh well hello there and then so I barked at him because I already said no the first time you know like I said no don't do that and he kept continuing so I barked I said woo you know <laughs> it, was, it was it was it was a little loud than that. <laughs> you know but, but <laughs> it's just like <laughs> why <laughs> why do women or yeah why do women have to just do these things to avoid getting catcalled or avoid yeah. uh, feeling uncomfortable being stared at you know like guys man if you like them approach them but don't do it creepily you know but it's, grab their butts no i'm kidding yeah <laughs> don't do that don't do that don't do that it, it, but it would be part for the course, like, you know, in my 90s universe, um, just to call it even. But uh, no, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, um, we don't want to, like, overlook and, and push aside the, right. the male survivors. But it's definitely just a uh, more common for women to be catcalled, for women to be harassed and, and assaulted. You know? Yeah. Michelle, you... you <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go for it, Audrey. Okay. Well, I think, like, the problem of women being told, like, wear your skirt to this length, like, you need to carry around pepper spray, all these guidelines that women have to follow all stem from, like, childhood and younger years of how, like, we we're brought up. Like, females were always told to, like, follow the dress code, and we're always told to, like, follow a certain criteria in order to be, like, acceptable, but yet... There yeah. were no such standards for men. And so now that we're older, it's like, it's always like, there's these standards for women, but yet what are the standards for men? And like, why aren't we doing anything for them? So it all stems from like childhood and just societal values, really. Which interesting. Doesn't really yeah. yeah, I, I, you make an interesting point. Um, two things, and I'll, I'll go off of what Audrey is saying. Um, I think that, I think that there are similar state. I, I, I'm speaking from kind of the high school background that I, I, I went to an all girls school and down the street, we have like, you know, all boys school, they're the brother's school. And they also have like, you know, standards, like, you know, don't wear your hair, like past a certain length. It has to be cut like this. Um, you know, your ties on, like, you know, your hair is a certain length and like all this business, like your blazer is this, your tie is this, your shirt's ironed. And it's a, it's a brand, I guess it's a school brand of sorts, right? Um, and so I, I, I think that people penalize women a little more heavily. And they're a little more lenient when it comes to, um, to male behavior. Um, I'll, use a, I'll use a work example. Um, I, I happen to be an overperformer at work. Um, you know, I have a male counterpart that actually doesn't have to do much of anything. Um, but yet I pick up the slack. What's that about? You know, like, so I'm the terrible person because I didn't pick up the slack, but that dude was watching YouTube on his computer all day. Like, why is it on me? Right. 
I mean, like there, there are standards of behavior that, you know, are clearly like, you know, fuzzy. Going back to Michelle's point, yes, I, I definitely recognize that, you know, um, that that uh, I, I'm leaning heavily on, on you know, I, it's important to stress that there are also male survivors. Um, I think that, and, and I'm not saying that they, they have it like, you know, less hard than, um, you know, females. What I'm saying, uh, what I wanted to stress is that I, I think a lot, I think I, I, I speak from, you know, obviously the female perspective is because I'm female, number one. Number two, I still think that, again, like what Audrey said and alluded to is the burden that is placed on women rather than like, you know, like it just typically like societal burden is placed on um, the female more than anything else, not to discount the male survivors at all. I do realize that there are male survivors of, of um, sexual assault and, and, and sexual violence. Um, so I have a question. So like, where do you hope to see like our society and like how just like everything works regarding like women's rights and like domestic violence? Like where do you hope to see sort of like the future and like the next like 10 or next 20 years or so? So, um, okay, I don't, I can honestly say I am not a, I am not a philosopher. I am not a like, you know, kind of like, you know, like gender futurist or anything. So um, I'm just going to go off of like, you know, what I, what I truly believe in, in the same way that I think that, you know, America is, is definitely, we're having the, you know, the post-racial discussion right now. Um, we're also having the post-gender discussion right now, right? Where everybody's just a person, you know, like, and they're all like individual people. And, um, you know, nobody's of a race. Nobody is like of a gender. Like everybody is, is, is the whole person. Um, I can only hope that that's achieved in my lifetime. I know it will likely take work. Um, it, again, um, to have the discussion, people are having the discussions on race. People are having the discussions on gender. Um, and I don't know how long this is going to go on for. Um, I can't believe that we're in 2020 and it almost seems like in some cases, like the world has been going backwards, right? Um, but at the same time, it, it really is to, for the conversation always sort of be top of mind. Like, you know, what had happened, like, you know, in, in Minneapolis with George Floyd, like, you know, really like, you know, lit a fire under the, the post-racial discussion. I expect, I expect for gender, there also be something very similar to that. I think we have a ways to go. Um, I am so sad that, uh, you know, it's easier to have the post-race discussion than, than it is to have the post-gender discussion now, because um, I mean, the current political climate isn't particularly uh, kind to, to women. Um, we, we saw that in, and I'm not saying that, you know, I lean either way, but, um, you know, clearly we were not ready for a woman president. Um, and we still like, you know, we could run the most qualified woman like available, but yet people aren't down with that for some reason, right? Like, but we're okay with, we're okay with a black president and we're all okay with a black president, so be it. But we still have problems with women, like, you know, in, in positions of power. Why, right? You could, you could run the most qualified women, like, you know, against like, so uh, going back to Audrey's point, like, you know, the most qualified woman against like somebody who, you know, is kind of like phoning it in 
and like yet they'll always pick like you know the male that's kind of phoning it in but yet the woman's out here doing all the work you know that's crazy to me like so um i, I was very disappointed in in um I, I was very disappointed in 2016 um i hope to not be this too disappointed um a month from now either <laughs> that's kind of where i am but um but really like i i, I think that um, those discussions still need to remain top of mind in order for us to get anywhere. Um, it, I hope it doesn't come to the point where, you know, we have a inevitable, like, you know, like large blow up where like, you know, gender, like, you know, just get, you know, that, that, that something truly tragic happens in order for people to have the discussion. Um, but I will say this, Many things across the world happen to women all day long, right? Like, obviously, like, you know, like female genitalia is getting mutilated in like third world countries. Like, you know, women like are yet getting like blown to bits because they do like something that clearly like is against like, you know, some sort of religion. Like it, it's, I don't know why the world hates women so much. And like, you know, we're under this emotional burden to do all sorts of things. Um, but it's okay for a man to do that and like not be penalized for anything. I'm just saying. Um, it's unfortunate that we're we're still having to, you know, rehash a lot of these things. I think through sistership and sisterhood, um, and having discussions like this, um, we'll find our own ways to continue that conversation. I'm sorry, Jamie. Doesn't answer your question. I feel like I went all over the place with that one. No. Yeah, you answered perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, I just have another question. Um, what is something you wish people knew about domestic violence? Knew about it? Um, gosh, that's really hard. Um, I think a lot of the Asian community still suffers in silence. That's, I mean, or um i and i also had wished that um people of a generation like you know beyond mine um really were able to sort of uh recognize signs of what was not okay um so that we didn't have to so so that if it was if like you know again it's it's all about the behavior that people tolerate right um and i i find that even it, i find that there are a lot of people that still continually suffer because they're willing to tolerate it um i you know i know that it's very difficult uh, so recently i'll give you a personal anecdote um so i was obviously i was recently pregnant um and I, you know, being a first time mom, I, I would go through all of the, you know, apps and stuff to figure out what was going on with me and my body. And um, so I, I would read like all these posts, like on these, on these pregnancy apps. And there were all like, there are a lot of women on these apps going like, you know, my husband, my future husband to be or my baby's daddy, you know, um, did XYZ to me and blah, blah, blah. And there, and there are many, many women like, you know, below the post going like, you should leave him girl, you know, and all this stuff. But the thing is, is that like, you know, they make very, there are people that make very compelling arguments for like staying in relationships when things are going wrong. Right. 
And um, so I, I still think that, you know, the, the line of what people are willing to accept is very, uh, is very personal um, and very tailored to the individual. And I hope that I hope that most people that are suffering through something like that is able to sort of draw a line as to whether, like, you know, like some people just don't even draw a line. And I find that even doing that, like, you know, allows you to be like, okay, three, like I had a, when I was dating people, I had a three strikes you're out rule. And so after the third offense, like, you know, like it's, it's probable that your behavior is not gonna change. So I'm just gonna get the hell out of this relationship because your behavior is not going to change. Um, and it doesn't really have to do with domestic violence for that matter. Like the only way in which like, you know, you get yourself out of a situation like that is, is to have those limitations. I don't, I think people are willing to erase those boundaries or push those boundaries because of something or other, but you have to remain true to you, like for your own self-preservation. Um, a lot of people suffer in silence because they don't know where their boundaries are. Um, it's up to you to establish those things. Um, I, I I don't know if that was like the answer you were looking for, but I mean, ultimately, like, you know, I think that's just very practical advice, um, you know, to not waste your time in a situation that's like not working. Um, I mean, otherwise, like what? You have another like, you know, six years of your young life to stay in an abusive situation. That's crazy to me. <laughs> like, There's so much more like of life to live, really. So set your limitations early um, and, and stay true to yourself. <laughs> I think that was really good advice for everyone to uh, recognize and remember, you know, like, like what you said, it's a, this, I think your advice is beyond just uh, domestic violence or beyond abuse, you know, like setting your limits, you know, and being true to who you are. I think that's really helpful yeah. for um, everyone to understand um, and just really a part of growing, growing up and growing out of, um, yeah, just growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was, that's um, all the time we have. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us today. And thank you especially, Glenda, for taking time out of your day to join us for this episode. And thank you for sharing some of your own experience and telling us more about our philanthropy. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, we hope that um, our listeners and our sisters and, you know, everyone that's here um, just took a lot out from our little series, you know, our little DVM series. <laughs> you guys learned a lot about domestic violence and um, how you and how we can help someone we know in a domestic violence relationship or even someone who has just been through some trauma, you know. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed our DVM series and that you guys can continue the conversation or start the conversation with your family or your friends. Um, please reach out and please uh, speak up and please continue to listen. And we will see you guys next time when you grab a seat and sit with the sisters. <laughs> Bye, guys.